Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Alright, good day everyone and welcome to another edition of Hanging with Harley. It's CJ and I have the honor and privilege of riding shotgun today with Harley. There is a lot to talk about today, so I want to jump into it. So Harley, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Excellent, excellent. Uh, amazing week. Uh, everything that is happening with Trump's uh, visit, with the NATO members, with just so much going on. Where would you like to begin, Harley? I think the way to, to get a handle on it is to not look at each of the particular events that have occurred or the statements where he says one thing one day and seems to say something else the next. What's important is the overall effect. Trump is dumping the old system. There's no other way to understand this. You know, he, he goes to NATO and essentially, remember, during the campaign, he said he's not even sure why we still have NATO. Uh, because if we had peaceful relations with Russia, what's the whole point of NATO? NATO is a relic of the Cold War. So he goes to the NATO summit, ruffles a lot of feathers, uh, including the Germans in particular. You know, the it, it's interesting, the coverage on the German question was, in the U.S., was uh, of Trump saying that the Germans shouldn't be getting oil from uh, the North Stream pipeline. Now, what he actually said is that Germany, by shutting down coal and nuclear, has made it necessary to be dependent on Russia. And he said, here you are, you're complaining about Russia all the time, but you're dependent on them. And then he said, look, if uh, things go well with Putin, then the North Stream won't be a problem. So instead of focusing on the particular, look at the bigger picture. He's attacking Germany for its anti-nuclear, anti-coal policy. He's attacking NATO for their hypocrisy of talking about grave threats from Russia and then refusing to pay their share to protect themselves from those so-called threats. And then he goes to Britain and the United Kingdom. And uh, on the one hand, he's saying, well, Theresa May is a good person. I like her. We get along fine. However, then he says correctly that she's trying to water down and destroy Brexit. And he made the point today, if the Brexit agreement is dumped then or is weakened by May, why would the United States get into a special free trade agreement with Britain knowing that the same kind of dumping might occur there? So people who say Trump is inconsistent are, are just wrong. He's consistent in his condemnation of the fraud of the existing transatlantic system. And that means the meeting coming up with uh, Vladimir Putin is extremely important uh, because what Putin represents the most clearest expression of a shift away from that transatlantic system to a new paradigm. The Russian-Chinese relationship, Russia's role in crushing terrorism, Syria, and uh, more importantly in the long term, is Trump showing the people who targeted him 
to get rid of him using so-called Russiagate, that he essentially knows who they are, he knows his connection, and he's not going to submit them for a minute. So I, I think that's the way to, to make sense out of what we've seen from his trip to Europe so far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, you know, really taking a wrecking ball to the old guard, uh, Harley, uh, to the uh, the attempt of the, the, the controllers. Now, I want to ask you what specifically in terms of what, what are the big rocks with Russia? What with Putin? What are what are the, the differences? What are the things out, outside of the entire Russia gate that's, you know, completely falling apart? Uh, you know, and, and we can spend some time talking there as well. But in your mind, what, yeah, what, sure. think, what, are, what are the obstacles? What are besides everyone trying to disrupt the meeting between the two? What, what are their major talking points? What, what do they have to get corrected in order to, uh, you know, just I don't even want to say repair the relationship, just actually begin it some conversation? Well, I think what Trump is doing to throw out the Bush Obama foreign policy gets rid of the biggest obstacle in U.S.-Russian relations. You know, there, there are disagreements on how to proceed with uh, uh, arms control, whether there's going to be a new START agreement, whether they're going to restore the INF agreement or not. So Putin was has had meetings with Netanyahu. There, there may be some deal in the works, but the more important thing is that Putin's in the driver's seat in the Middle East, and, and Trump is uh, okay with that. He doesn't want the U.S. involved there. He campaigned against regime change wars. He campaigned against Americans dying and taxpayers' money being spent in these useless, uh, senseless wars of Bush and Obama. So I think that's not going to be a problem between Trump and Putin. The other area which may be a little tricky is Ukraine. But remember, Trump knows from Paul Manafort very well the role of the neocons, Hillary Clinton, the Obama administration, Victoria Nuland, uh, and so on, in setting up the the overthrow of a democratically elected regime in Ukraine. Uh, he also knows that if Putin wanted to attack and invade Ukraine, he could take it over in, in a couple of days. Uh, I'm sure Trump also knows, as he, he said, look, most people in Crimea speak Russian. They see themselves as Russians. So he doesn't have the legacy of the Cold War when it comes to dealing with Putin. Now, the other thing is that there, there's a certain kind of sympathy there. It's not that they're authoritarian, it's that they're economic nationalists. They believe that the function of government is to take care of the people of the nation. And so I think from that standpoint, uh, since Trump is not there speaking on behalf of the British and the European and, and Wall Street banks, but on what he thinks is the interest of the American people, uh, I think he and Putin will get along uh, and I think we may not know immediately everything they talked about because they are going to have some private sessions. But uh, I'm very hopeful that they'll uh, have a meeting of the minds. Now, one other aspect here is that uh, Trump and Putin will probably talk about the relations with China, how to get that back on the right footing. Putin is very close with Xi Jinping. Uh, Trump himself says he likes Xi Jinping. This um, trade war, you know, there's a, a difference between protectionism to allow your economy to revitalize as opposed to punishing someone else. And I think that uh, Trump has gone a little bit overboard on the China question, but, you know, you saw the figures today, China's 
balance of trade with the United States hit a record level. So there is something that has to be done there. I think Putin can help him with that. And Trump and Putin seem to be on the same page with North Korea. So the big issue then is what do you do with Europe? What do you do with the basket case of the European Union? What do you do with these people like uh, Jens Stoltenberg of NATO, uh, Macron and Merkel, who seem to think that, that NATO has to protect them from Russia, but that the Europeans should do nothing serious about the immigration question? So I think Trump and Putin will be fine. I think the bigger issue is what are we going to do with the uh, collapsing government in the United Kingdom? And I expect there'll be more governments in Europe that will be looking for a way out of the EU in the, in the period ahead. Right, absolutely. Do you feel hardly at all that any type of conversation will come up with Iran's role in Syria, um, how the... Uh, how Putin, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of, of new sanctions, everything going on with Iran and energy. How, how does Trump, where does that come into play in terms of U.S. policy towards Iran and, and their relationship with Russia? This will be very interesting. I actually think that Putin will help Trump establish a back channel to the Rouhani government where there can be some talks and there can, can be some agreements. But the whole point of the fear of Iran is largely a Saudi, Israeli, British construction. You know, the, the British at the beginning of the 20th century were trying to take over Iran completely. And the Russians stepped in and, and objected. They had the uh, Anglo-Russian-Persia agreement in 1907, where the, the British claimed the, the bottom third of Iran, the, the part of Iran that was on the uh, uh, water there. So... You know, this is a, a long-standing issue, but the Russians have a, a very significant role to play in this. And I think that the one of the reasons the Iranians are in Syria is because they saw the terrorists, the, the jihadists, backed by the Saudis, targeting them. And the Saudi line is that the Iranians were using Assad as a base of operations, they didn't come into Syria until the Saudis had already financed the uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda operation with the full support of the Obama administration. So it was at that point that the Iranians came in. I think if, the, if Trump and Putin can work out security arrangements for Iran that, to let them feel safe, that they're not going to get attacked by Israel, and if uh, Putin can convince Netanyahu to stay in Israel and, and stop threatening Iran and the, the Russians will make sure the Iranians don't do anything, uh, we could have a very interesting peace agreement. Now, the problem here is the British and the neocons in the United States who want to use the Iran-Saudi and Iran-Israeli uh, opposition for their typical geopolitical purposes, which is to uh, create the necessity for the West to be in there. And I think that what Putin is talking to the various players about is let's calm the thing down so that there's no legitimate reason for the U.S. and Europe to be in there, and then we can start solving it. And, of course, Putin has a strong hand to play here as well, because if the situation in the Middle East calms down, then the refugee crisis, the, the threat of an overrunning of Europe with the Iraqis and, and Afghans and, and Syrians and so on ceases to be a problem. 
And then they can start addressing the problems in Africa where the Chinese are already doing a very good job working with African countries to build up infrastructure to create an environment where Africans will want to stay in their home country rather than risk their lives swimming across the Mediterranean. Absolutely, absolutely. Let, let's shift gears just, just for a moment and let's talk about recent developments here that the fact that a, an alignment with Putin, uh, with Trump, and how disrupted that would be uh, recent, uh, the, the Oversight Committee, the Inspector General finding of all this information, and Harley, you wrote a great article kind of tying that together and where all roads lie. Could you break that down for us, please? If anyone had a chance to watch Peter Strzok yesterday, you saw the face of a lying, evil bureaucrat who was selected to play the role of uh, one of the enforcers in the anti-Trump movement. Uh, and he lied repeatedly in his statements to the Congress. And when he was called on it by Louis Gohmert, this, this is a hilarious scenario where Gohmert accuses him of lying when, when Peter Strzok said, well, yes, I detested Trump, but that I didn't let that feeling interfere with my job of investigating Trump. And <laughs> yeah, Gomert right. said, doesn't believe, yeah, Gomert said he doesn't believe him, and, and Strzok said, well, on my whole career, no one has ever doubted me. And then Gomert brought up, well, did your, how about your lies to your wife about your affair with Lisa Page? And the oh, Democrats oh. went crazy. They went crazy. They said to Gomert, get back on your meds. Um, but it's a, a relevant point. Here you have an FBI agent who was the number two in counterintelligence in the FBI, who was involved in the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And he's the one who convinced Comey to weaken the language in the final report about Hillary's uh, neglect as opposed to her criminal intent in using the uh, personal server. He also was involved in the uh, Get Trump Committee set up by Comey. Uh, he was the person who, he was one of the leading people in the interview of Michael Flynn. And he also then was selected by Mueller initially to serve on the uh, special counsel's prosecution team. Now, here's a guy who was writing that Trump is a douchebag, we have to stop him, we have to save America from him. Uh, in his text messages back and forth to his girlfriend, yeah. his mistress, who was the top FBI lawyer assigned to Andrew McCabe, who was subsequently fired and we now know may face criminal uh, indictment for his role in leaking to the Congress. So you've got a gang of these people, Bruce Orr at the Justice Department, Rosenstein is part of this. You've got a whole gang of these people who have run a sting operation against the Trump campaign, who got FISA warrants to, against Trump people. At the same time, they were sending their own operatives like uh, Stefan Halper, uh, Joseph Mifsud, Henry Greenberg. They were sending FBI agents to try to offer the Trump people so-called Russian dirt on Hillary. So, what we're seeing is the playing out of a typical FBI sting operation. And then the prosecution team, what are they doing? They're finding little loopholes for process indictments and then squeezing people saying, if you basically lie for us, you won't have to serve too much time in jail. 
And when someone like Paul Manafort has the dignity and, and uh, uh, self-respect to say he's not going to fold, he's not going to flip, they stick him in essentially solitary confinement, yeah. even though he's been convicted of nothing. I know, yeah. So all of this is now playing out in the hearings on television. And, you know, I think Strzok made the key point yesterday when he said, all you're doing with this hearing is allowing Putin to put a victory notch in his belt. <laughs> so what comes out? His anti-Putin, anti-Trump uh, bias. That's what the inspector general found. The, the real question is, will people realize that the inspector general's conclusion that the bias didn't interfere with the investigation is false and that it did and that all we're seeing with Russiagate is an attempt to keep the old paradigm, which is bad for the United States. It's bad for Russia. It's bad for the world. And Trump is trying to break out of that paradigm and he's doing it. His meeting with Putin is a significant break from the old Obama policy, which was essentially to surround Russia with hostile forces, including NATO, including terrorists in the South, uh, to surround China in the same way with the Uyghur separatist terrorists, the jihadists in Sichuan province, to use the South China Sea and the Trans-Pacific Partnership to freeze China out of the trade agreements and so on. So Trump is saying, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to put America first, but putting America first means working with other sovereign nations. And this is something that the globalists cannot tolerate. If it actually succeeds, if you have a four-power alignment of Russia, China, India, and the United States, or bring in Japan with that, bring in South Korea, you have the basis of a monetary system which is not based on central banks who serve the purposes of looting the populations of their countries for the sake of private bankers' profits. And it's those private bankers who fund the neocons, who fund the neoliberals, who backed Hillary, who backed Obama, who backed Bush. So this whole game is now being threatened. And that's why we see the hysteria. You know, the British papers are essentially saying, is Trump going to sell out NATO? Is Trump going to hand Eastern Europe back to Putin? You know, remember, it was Churchill, not the United States, that handed Eastern Europe to Stalin after World War II. So you know, Trump is not handing anything to anybody. He's saying, let's talk, let's work these things out. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting things play out. Uh, now, one final point that I made in my article uh, which is available. If people would like it from uh, Rogue Money, send me an email and I'll send it to you. It's uh, My email address is harleysch at gmail.com. That's H-A-R-L-E-Y-S-C-H at gmail.com. What I write is that we're now seeing the possibility that the so-called special relationship can be brought to an end. The special relationship was essentially, as the British put it, British brains and American brawn, how the British banking system and financial system continued to loot the world after the British military became a minor power by using the U.S. military to enforce the terms through international agreements such as the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organization, GATT, uh, and so on. And Trump is breaking out of that. So 
you know, we're, we're heading into a very rough period. It's going to be difficult for people to see through the, the uh, forest, to see the trees, so to speak. Uh, don't get caught up on any particular event. Look at it from the top. And if you do, the one thing that you'll see in common is that Trump has no loyalty to the present system. And that's something that's good for the American people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Harley, I'd like to uh, close with getting your thoughts on the recent uh, tariffs, the escalation of that. Uh, is that is that good, bad? Is it is it is, is there is there a potential blowback that occur that could occur because of this? Uh, you know, I do have my own reasons for you know for concerns over that, and and that's the fact. I still think uh, that the U.S. economy is still very fragile, and I and I still yeah. think that with these tariffs and uh, a lot of U.S. manufacturers still count on a lot of, you know, parts that come from China, you know, so it may not be specifically an entire washing machine, but parts that go into it. And the other thing I'm concerned about is that, you know, recently China really hit Trump right in the heartland of a lot of his voters, a lot of his base, and that's with agriculture and, and farming. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're right on target with, with your assessment. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think is the, the ultimate problem. We do have a trade problem with China. Why is that? Because we shut down manufacturing. Since 2001, we lost 6 million manufacturing jobs in the United States that were not replaced. We've had thousands of factories closed. We uh, are falling far behind on, on patents and research and development. And yeah, the Chinese did steal some intellectual property. They did some things that were not entirely uh, proper, but that's changing. Now, the problem is we need China and they need us. Uh, we need them strategically. They're playing an important role with Trump in, in solving the North Korea crisis. Uh, and we could work together. The Chinese are saying the best way to address this is to increase trade between the two countries, not to put up barriers. Now, the second part of the problem is that those people who want to punish China are missing the point. Putting tariffs on Chinese goods by itself will not uh, allow American manufacturing to revive. American manufacturing has been harmed by tax policies, some of which were improved by Trump, but also credit policies. There's no credit for small and medium enterprises where a lot of the, the advances in technology are made. They can't get credit because the money is still flowing to the banks for their speculative games. If you want to revive manufacturing, look at what the Chinese are doing and realize that one of the, the pro problems in a trade war that you're trying to address is if a country is using cheap labor in their own country to uh, exploit uh, to exploit you by selling you cheaper goods, and bring down the wages in your country. China's raising their wages now. They're trying to advance. So instead of punishing them, we should work with them. We should trade with them. And we should establish the one place we need protection is in our banking system. Protect the small and medium bankers from the too big to fail banks. Make sure that we have credit available for, for producers, not for speculators, parasites, and swindlers. And that's where Trump has to address the economic problem, which includes bringing back Glass-Steagall, 
protecting the economy from these globalist financial institutions, offshore banking, shadow banking system, and so on. Now, if he were to do that, he would have full support from China. And I think over time, we would see the trade deficit uh, drop because the Chinese don't want a trade war with the United States. Uh, so I, I think the president is being poorly advised by people like Peter Navarro. Uh, you know, Lighthizer may be a little bit different, but he's still going along with this idea that you punish China now. Uh, I, I hope that after the Putin summit, President Trump gets together with Xi Jinping again and they talk this through because I, I think the solution, uh, the potential is there. Uh, one example, by the way, um, we just had a, a series of discussions with some, some American businesses in Europe about Africa policy. And they were saying, well, the Chinese are all over Africa and we can't get in. And we said to them, well, why don't you work with the Chinese? And they said, well, we, we could, but so far we're not allowed to by some of the U.S. restrictions. So if Trump were to say to U.S. industry, go in and start working with the Chinese on major infrastructure projects in Africa, we would become part of the, the great awakening of, of the continent of Africa, where we're seeing already growth rates of six, seven, eight percent in a number of countries. So I think the, the potential is there to avoid the problem with China. Uh, it's a twofold problem. One is negotiation on, on the existing set of trade agreements. But the second point is we have to address what was done to this country by 40 years of neoliberal policies uh, coming from Democrats and Republicans imposed by Wall Street who could make more money by shutting down industry in the United States, lowering wages in the United States than by investing in physical production. And we have to now, uh, it's not China's fault that we did it, it's our own fault. Trump knows that, he's got to address it. Very well said, Harley, very well said. Harley, thank you so much for a wonderful interview. Uh, we at Rogue, our audience, truly appreciate all the terrific work that you do uh, with, with LaRouche Pack, with the Schiller Institute. Harley, thank you so much. All right, talk to you next week and have a good time in Las Vegas. All right, thank you so much, Harley. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye.